From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and Moment Magazine contributor Dan Revive. Welcome, Anita and Dan. Always a pleasure. Great to be with you. Well, Queen Elizabeth's coffin left Buckingham Palace for the last time, passing tens of thousands of people who crowded the streets of London as it headed to Westminster Hall. The monarch's body lies in state there until the day of her funeral on September 19th. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden plan to attend the Queen's funeral in a moving, solemn rite dictated by protocol and echoing a bygone age. The Accession Council certified Charles as king, among other formalities. The new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who met the Queen in Scotland two days before her death, described the British monarch as, quote, the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her, unquote. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky thanked Ukrainian soldiers for their efforts in retaking the area from Russian forces last week. Ukraine claims it had recaptured several more villages in the northeastern part of the country, pushing some Russian forces back to the border between the two nations. Here in the United States, President Biden hosted a White House celebration to mark the passage of the sweeping Inflation Reduction Act. Democrats hope the victory will boost enthusiasm ahead of the midterm elections in November. The Consumer Price Index report for August showed inflation continues despite lower gas prices. A federal judge has unsealed further portions of the legal document the FBI submitted, justifying its reasons to secure a search warrant of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. The world has been mourning the death of Queen Elizabeth. Your thoughts on what her death means for Britain and the world? Dan. Well, I'm an American, but I was based in London for 12 years when the Queen, though not being the political leader making the decisions for the country, was repeatedly showing that she was just the center of attention for what she represents, the stability. Think now that she ruled, so to speak, or she was the Queen for 70 years. And yeah, I'm avoiding the word that she ruled because, again, she didn't really rule the country. She wasn't in charge of its policies. But hey, she's on the money, on the coins and the banknotes. She represents presents the country in every way as the head of state. And so her death just leaves a hole, even though we always knew that her son, the Prince of Wales, Charles, now King Charles III, we knew that he was the successor. Of course, that's all taken place very smoothly and regally, but still a vacuum was felt as though the nation lost a grandmother. My friends in London say that even if they are not big believers in the monarchy, they feel the loss of a woman who did her job with class, inspired the country when she needed to, at times suffered with the country during bad economic times or during a war. And so just this sense of a woman who's been with us for so long, absolutely gone. I think it raises a lot of questions. What sort of governments do we want? Do we think it's good to have a king or a queen? Is it an outmoded thing? Really something to think about. 
I absolutely agree with everything Dan said. And like Dan, I am an American, but actually I'm also born and raised in Australia, which is one of the 56 countries in the Commonwealth of Nations whose head is now King Charles III. Previously, it was Queen Elizabeth. And I'm thinking about the impact that her death is going to have on this consortium of like 50 plus nations that are tied together by this common heritage, most importantly, this common language and cultural references, and whether it will be able to hold, because the Commonwealth, it describes itself as a group of countries that prize rule of law and democracy and liberties. And this is, as President Biden says, the crisis of our time, this fight between autocracies and democracies. A lot of these Commonwealth countries said that they were staying in the Commonwealth out of respect for the Queen as a person. And one wonders how many are going to now distance themselves or peel off, you know, with this different leadership that is, you know, to a lot of these leaders seen as less inspiring. Anita, I'm wondering because you cover the White House every day and I know you've been preparing for the trip to London because you cover President Biden. He decided right away to attend the Queen's funeral. It's coming on on Monday the 19th. Why did President Biden want to go? Every head of state is, of course, invited, and he described her as more than a monarch, an era-defining leader who kind of held things together. She was, you know, the figurehead, but also a very skilled diplomat, as he described. And I think he recognizes that she was a symbol of not just, you know, Britishness, but also of, I think it has to be said, of decency, of values that he agrees with. And so I think... Paying his respects to her is an important sign that this is the side of history he wants to be on. These are the values that he embraces and thinks, I guess, we should all embrace. So I think that's why he's going. This funeral on Monday is going to be an event of just unprecedented scale and pomp. It's going to be the only thing on TV on all the networks, so you can't really miss it. But it's going to be just a really interesting event where all of these world leaders get together And we're going to see a lot of interesting reactions. We're going to see probably a lot of interesting side meetings that aren't going to be publicized between these leaders. And I think this could actually be a really consequential event, even though it is technically a funeral. Also, President Biden said the queen, quote, defined an era, as you both have pointed out. What does he think of King Charles? Will he think King Charles bring any change to the relationship between the U.S. and Britain? President Biden did speak very recently with King Charles III, and the emphasis seems to be on continuity and on maintaining what the U.S. and the U.K. describe as the closest diplomatic relationship in the world. I mean, the U.S. and the U.K. go way back and are very strongly allied with each other, and there's no indication that that is going to change. Keep in mind, of course, that decisions on policies, including foreign relations, are made by the elected government of the United Kingdom. And the same week that Queen Elizabeth died, the United Kingdom got a new prime minister, Liz Truss. So the Conservative Party is still in charge there. It's Liz Truss having replaced Boris Johnson. So indeed, a new relationship has to be formed. And Anita, as you pointed out, The Queen's funeral is an occasion also for that. President Biden will get to know the new prime minister a little bit. 
Moving on now to our next topic, President Volodymyr Zelensky made an unannounced visit to Izium in northeastern Ukraine, which Ukraine seized in a lightning offensive. So what does this mean for Ukraine and also as a setback for Russia? So obviously this is a gain for Ukraine, but I think we just need to remember this is a conflict that's dragged on not for six months, but for eight years. This is a battle technically that's being won, but this doesn't pretend that the war has been won. This strengthens Ukraine's position, which may actually not put them in a position to talk peace and make compromises now that they are quote unquote winning. But I'd be very careful of characterizing it that way. They did very successfully push back the Russians. You know, they faked left and punched right because they didn't say that they were going to move in this particular area in which they moved. So that was a nice feint there by the Ukrainians. But I think it is too soon to tell, you know, whether they'll be able to hold it and what the fallout from this could be. The U.S. military and the Defense Department are watching this very closely because this war that began this past February is a chance for American experts to assess what is the strength of the Russian armed forces. And again and again, U.S. officials, uh, often off the record, are making a point of saying that the Russians are really in bad shape when it comes to their military. Bad leadership bad strategy. And when the United States and its allies, including Great Britain, sent modern weapons systems to Ukraine and helped train the Ukrainians, well, those weapons systems have caused significant damage to the Russians and, according to U.S. officials, absolutely dented the morale of Russia's fighting forces. I'd have to say off the record that the Americans actually were enjoying the fact that Ukraine has been moving forward, but there was a sense of fear. What will President Putin decide to do? Use his air force, for instance, to hit Ukrainian cities? I mean, we don't want to give the Russians ideas. But there is some concern. And as Anita said, this is a battle and and not the war. Well, I mean, the Russians already struck at President Zelensky's hometown right as he was celebrating this gain in the north of the country. They fired missiles at, I believe his hometown is called Kiev Rus, which is in central Ukraine. So the Russians are responding. And as Dan said, it remains to be seen how fiercely they will respond. Also, in looking at the meeting between Chinese leader Xi Jinping and Putin, Russia's president, how significant is this meeting? And really, how much does Russia need China's support? I'll answer that. It's extremely significant. What's really important is that Xi Jinping has not left China and met with a foreign head of state outside of China since the beginning of the pandemic. And for him to do this for the first time with Russia's president is extremely significant. But what is important to note, and and somebody in the White House said this to me the other day, is that China's walking a very, very careful line here. China has not violated any of the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia. China has been obedient to those sanctions and is keeping to those sanctions. So I think while this is definitely a show of support, China won't go so far as to break any rules to help Russia. And that is almost certainly going to be a topic of discussion between the two world leaders, because as we see, Putin needs all of the help he can get as these sanctions close in on him. Uh, we, We saw the other week that Russia is now buying arms from North Korea, which I think can only be characterized as a sign of desperation. 
So it's a very significant meeting. It's going to be very weighty topics. And the power is all, I think, in Xi Jinping's hands. It always has been. I think we all know that. And the other challenge for Xi Jinping here is to position himself in such a way that he shows that he commands respect outside of China, because as soon as he gets home in October, he has to go into the major Communist Party conference where he's going to go for an unprecedented third term as Chinese leader. This is also a test for him to kind of walk that line and look like the leader he sees himself as and wants to be. So this is a big deal. Here's some sheer speculation, or it might be wishful thinking, that the Chinese leader, President Xi, is privately advising President Putin to wind down the war in Ukraine, to find a solution, to help the world economy, to end this war. Okay, I said it was wishful thinking. We have no idea whether China's leader is suggesting to Russia's leader to do that. There's also another part of the story that U.S. officials are watching, whether anything that happens in Ukraine might encourage China to make military moves that threaten Taiwan. That's been a concern of the U.S. for quite a while now. And if Russia seems to be successful in Ukraine, or as some Americans put it, if Russia gets away with it in Ukraine, then China might try to seize Taiwan, strangle Taiwan. There is concern about that. One other point, going back in history, many U.S. strategists have always tried to separate Russia and China. It's something that Henry Kissinger was working on when he was Secretary of State in the 1970s. And now Russia and China do not seem to be separated. And that naturally is a trend that the United States doesn't welcome. The only thing I want to add to that, Dan, is just that this is definitely seen by strategists in China as a trial run for a play on Taiwan. But I would just note that the context is different. Taiwan is officially, legally, and recognized by many countries around the world, including the United States, as part of China. This will not change, is what the White House has said. For all intents and purposes, China already has Taiwan, and that's the state of play. I just don't think it's quite a parallel with Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine is a properly independent country, and I don't think we should or could characterize Taiwan as such, even though, of course, there are very strong feelings about that by many people who live in Taipei, who live outside of China and Taiwan. The fact of the matter is Taiwan is part of China, according to the One China Policy, and the U.S. supports the One China Policy officially. Very good. Thank you. And we'll have to see how this relationship between Russia and China develops in the months ahead. And it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, tumbling stocks overshadow the celebration of President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voaafrica.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and Moment Magazine contributor Dan Revive. Well, President Biden celebrated his climate change and drug pricing law, the Inflation Reduction Act, on Tuesday on the White House lawn. 
even as high consumer prices continue to climb. So looking at this, what is going to be the president's strategy to combat inflation with midterms quickly approaching? I just want to note that the Inflation Reduction Act is really a climate change and health care bill more than anything. The jury's still out as to whether it's going to address inflation and how meaningfully it will do so. Right now, the White House has the optics of supporting that, but there's not much that the president can do about certain aspects of it. For example, the gas price. That's not something that the president of the United States has any real control over. But of course, the White House never hesitates to point out and celebrate when the gas price is going down or when it's more acceptable to consumers. But this is largely optical ahead of the midterms, which are now in 50 some days. Both the president and the vice president have hit the road in recent weeks to promote this bill. Recently, the president went to Detroit to talk about this bill and other legislative achievements. It's been in the last few months that all of these legislative moves have come in, that he's gotten these wins. And trying to just underscore that this is what you can expect if Democrats are elected in November. More of this, which is, as he argues, better for American people than what the Republicans are offering. It's amazing when I speak to neighbors here in Washington, D.C. as to what's on their mind, you get kind of a divide. Some people are mostly concerned about the economy, including inflation with prices rising. That consumer price index this past Tuesday showed that on average prices in the United States are eight and a half percent higher than a year ago, 8.5 percent. That's high inflation. And certainly there are some specific things like shelter, housing, what people pay for rent that are up even more than that. So that's a big concern. And then there are the other people who are instead thinking about, well, frankly, what the White House and the Democratic Party would like to talk about, that there are threats to democracy here, that followers of the former President Donald Trump wanted to overturn the results of the 2020 election, that uh, Donald Trump could come back, that the Supreme Court, including justices who were placed there by President Trump, decided to overturn the famous Roe v. Wade decision, meaning abortion rights are not guaranteed in the United States. So there are a lot of voters who are looking at that. So the inflation issue, the prices, that generally works against the Democrats with the midterm elections coming up in November. But the abortion issue and concerns about Trump, that seems to help the Democrats. Yes. And also, Anita, when you mentioned earlier, President Biden recently touring the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. Was this an appeal to the younger, more progressive Democrats who are eager to fight climate change? You know, the Democratic strategy is firing on all cylinders right now. So I guess they're trying to reach them as well. So, yeah, probably. And, you know, obviously showing American consumers that there are options for energy independence. There are attractive options if you want a vehicle that's lower emissions and less damaging to the environment. Definitely, that's part of the strategy. I think the Democrats realize that they need every ounce of support they can get, and they're hitting all of those avenues to try to rally support. Looking at Donald Trump's investigations, the DOJ is saying that Donald Trump's lawyers are causing irreparable harm to the government and public by delaying the investigation into his taking these highly classified documents to his Florida mansion. So, Dan, will the judge's ruling of a special master, could that be overturned or will that be overturned? 
Well, it was recognized right away as being legally doubtful and indeed appeals courts could rule the other way. But the big picture is it would just be a delay if there's a special master, if you will, a court appointed expert looking at the documents that were found at former President Trump's home in Florida. It could delay, but it doesn't change the fact that there were classified documents that were labeled top secret or even more classified than that that were found in his home. No explanation from former President Trump or the people around him as to why he had those papers there. Of course, they claim that the FBI wrongly raided his house and infringed upon his rights. So it's become a political issue, of course, and also a bit of a mystery. But keep in mind that Donald Trump is being investigated in other ways also. People close to him have been subpoenaed to be questioned behind closed doors by a grand jury, by the January 6th investigating committee of the Congress, and even by, say, New York state authorities who suspect strongly that Trump's real estate company cheated on taxes, for instance. The big question I think this raises is what is the look, as some people put it here in Washington, that the Biden administration is investigating its predecessor, former President Trump? What is the world going to think? That's a bad look. But it seems to me that the investigations are continuing despite any hesitations. Also, when you look at what impact these investigations will have on former President Donald Trump's political career, also the Republican Party. It's hard to say whether his supporters are going to be dissuaded by another investigation. I mean, as Dan mentioned, there's a laundry list of investigations against Donald Trump, and that hasn't turned away his hardcore supporters. If you're asking if this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back, I'm not sure. Well, indeed, how many times when he was running for president, when he was president, would some story emerge that you thought, oh, this is going to ruin Donald Trump's reputation. Oh, my gosh, he'd never run again. But that's not true. So (laughs) we don't know if he's going to run for president in 2024. And he continues to hint that he will. Well, it's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists. And Dan, I will start with you. Well, it may be obvious, but this September 11th anniversary was somber, especially at the places that were attacked by terrorists on September 11th in 2001. So it's been 21 years, if you can believe it. And there were moving ceremonies again, featuring the relatives of the approximately 3,000 people who were killed in New York, where the Twin Towers had stood, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where a plane crashed because the passengers heroically rose up against the hijackers, and at the Pentagon, where one of the plane had smashed into the Department of Defense. So moving ceremonies, President Biden gave a strong speech at the Pentagon. I'm just thinking myself, you know, having covered the events of that day 21 years ago, that nobody can forget it. So much changed. Here in America, we don't feel as secure as we used to, but also the events that were triggered by 9-11. The U.S. invaded Afghanistan, then invaded Iraq. All of that caused hundreds of thousands of deaths, horrible destruction, people made homeless, led to the creation of other terrorist groups such as ISIS. Oh, what a tough 21 years it's been. There's not much of a happy story to tell, except that we do remember the victims and some heroes in a nice, respectful way. And moving on to Anita, what's been weighing on your mind this week? 
So in my hands, I'm holding a really excellent book that just came out by two fantastic reporters from the Associated Press. It's a biography of First Lady Jill Biden. And what's weighing on my mind is the question that I asked the authors last night, which is, why do we do this? Why do we give this unpaid job to the president's spouse and allow this person to be scrutinized and criticized from every angle? Why do we do that? And nobody's saying Jill Biden doesn't rise to the occasion and she works hard hard as first lady. But I just kind of wonder about if that's the role that we see for women in the White House, because it's always been women. Are we able to see another role for women in the White House that doesn't involve these, the word that comes to mind is fripperies, such as the Christmas decorations, the Easter egg role? Are we going to be able to see past that and envision a role for a woman as an executive? If as long as we are kind of stuck and fixated on this image of the First Lady as a doyenne and as a hostess, primarily. We will end the show on those notes and thoughts. My thanks go to our panelists, BOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and Moment Magazine contributor Dan Raviv. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. 